The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey Rockheads, quit basting your bird and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 398 with guest Glenn Block, recorded live Monday, November 24, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And by Data Dynamics. Makers of ActiveReports.net, simple, powerful, and cost-effective reporting for Windows Forms and ASP.NET Web applications. Online at www.datadynamics.com. Support is also provided by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for .NET developers. Online at www.code-magazine.com. And now, the man who's planning on making his favorite thing this year for Thanksgiving... Reservations, Carl Franklin. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Carl Franklin here in New London, Connecticut. Uh, Richard is not with me for the intro, but he'll be here for the, uh, the interview, which is coming up in just a few seconds. This interview was done uh, last week while we were over in Malmo, Sweden at the Ordev conference. A great conference if you are in the area next year. Uh, it's in Malmo, just a short ride from Copenhagen. Uh, we had a great time there, and this was done live on stage with Glenn Block from the MEF team. And uh, this week, Glenn and I also have a DNR TV on MEF. So if you really want to see it in action, go to dnrtv.com. And, uh, of course, if it's not this week that you're listening to the show, just search the archives for MEF, M-E-F, or Glenn Block, and you'll find it. Hi, this is Carl Franklin. This is Richard Campbell. We are here at Ordev in Malmo, Sweden. Live on stage with our good friend Glenn Block. Hi, Glenn. Hey, Carl. Richard. How We've are you? Good week, haven't we, buddy? My brain is fried, but yes, it's been an awesome week. And, you know, I have to say that the bonus, aside from this awesome conference, has been hanging out with you guys. I, I, I feel like we've known each other a long time now. I have to take that as a compliment. You know, I think the, uh, the group that drinks together stays together. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much so that's is. never been more true than... Uh, than now. We have had a fine selection of scotches between us, I think. This pub that we've been hanging out in at the hotel has more scotch than I've ever seen in one place in the world. And, of course, 
You don't drink at all, Glenn. That's so right. So you're missing out on all the That's fun. Right. That's so I right. call it the wall of scotch. Yeah. Well, well I get to observe you guys. That's a lot of fun. We've been yeah, doing a good sure. sampling job. We've been, <laughs> we've, so, been, we've been covering for you, man. <laughs> so last time we talked to you was about prison. Yep. And uh, this time, you're, you, are you still on the prison team? Or are you still work in that realm? Um, I still have a place in my heart for prison, but okay. I've moved to the .NET Framework team now. Yes. Um, working on a new feature um, known as the Managed Extensibility Framework. Otherwise known as MEF. Yes. And I am <laughs> otherwise known as the MEF dealer. Nice. But is it, dealer. We're not going to say that. Oh, I just did. <laughs> did I say that out loud? I wouldn't. Yeah. That's what goes on in Oradev obviously is not kept at Oradev. No. Yeah, not anymore anyway. It's shared by everyone. So MEF... Uh, any time that you've done uh, sort of a plug-in architecture for your applications, you could think of MEF as, uh, I guess, plugins on steroids for large-scale applications? I think the steroids is the right answer because it goes a lot further, but it certainly looks at the general problem of, hey, I've got an application and I've got a set of things that I want to be able to be, um, you know, added to that application after it's been deployed. Dynamically. Yeah. yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly what those things are going to be, Mm. One to end of them may appear, and I want to, you know, have an easy way of building applications that those things can be added to the system. Um, but the other aspect of MEF is really about the framework itself. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many extensibility efforts we've had yeah. at Microsoft. Oh, for I'll, sure. Um, and some of them are great, like, you know, just to pick one, the ASP.NET provider model. Oh, but that's wonderful. It's an awesome piece of work. Um, it's, you know, some of them tend to be varying levels of complexity to get mm -hmm. them to work, but once yeah. they work, they're great. Yep. Um, but, you know, the downside is that a lot of these implementations are very specific. And, you know, what if I want to take the ASP.NET provider model and just, like, use it in my WinForms app? Right. I can't do it. Now, in that case, client access services, for example, came around that let you do some aspects of that. But the idea in general is that when I design pluggable things, they tend to take on a flavor of the framework that's going to use them. So you want something that's down lower in the framework. So we want to have a common mechanism that we as Microsoft can use internally that, you know, whenever we, if we were going to build something like Office in the future, instead of having to start from scratch and come with a brand new model that is totally different than all the other models we've done, yeah. we can say that they all use a common model. Yeah. Common extensibility model. And for that reason... Um, we've built MEF so that it itself can be extended, um, and you can introduce your own semantics on top of it. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Uh, so this is something that you're not only giving to the framework for customers. This is something that you plan to use inside Microsoft for every kind of extensibility point going forward. Absolutely, and we even want to use it to allow to make it easier for us to make the framework itself extensible. Yeah, oh, wow, um, So sure. that going forward, you know, you'll see more of the framework itself leveraging MEF, not only for allowing you to put, uh, you know, just for adding new things, but even the things that are there, allowing them to be swapped and such. So let's say I'm, I've got a medium-sized application. Let's say it's a Windows application, and I've got a plug-in architecture where, you know, something like Visual Studio where you've got components that plug in uh, that you just want to be able to discover those and drop them in. I would write the code today using uh, you know, a, a file system watcher that would give me a list of files, and I would look in for, for DLL files. 
I would load those as assemblies, and then I would check the interfaces and see if they implement my interfaces. And if they do, then I would use an assembly load and load them up, cast them to the, uh, to the interface. And that kind of thing seems to work well at a small scale. What's the problem with that approach? Well, so the problem with that approach, one, is that everybody's doing it. So there's no common implementation. Everybody has their own way. Right. So you build your extensions, they're your extensions. And somebody else builds another set, another framework, their own extensions. There's no interoperability I see. between those different types of extensions. But the other problem that you have is what happens when those extensions actually need things to be provided from the app? How do they get yeah. those things provided? Like in the case of your VS example, you know, or your, 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 uh, Carl S example. Yeah. Um, you know, I have my IDE and I need to basically, um, get access to a toolbar, for example, right? right. I, my plugin wants to grab access to the toolbar. Right. How does it do that? Does the contract, do I have to have hard coded knowledge? Usually I would on the host that would either say, hey, you know, here's a set of, if, if you implement this interface, I'm going to give you this. Yeah. If you implement this interface, I'm going to give you that. Another common way to do it with patterns is using like a service locator pattern, which is kind of the way VS does it. You put in a generic iService provider and you have to like go and ask the iService provider to give you the things yeah. that you need. Right. One of the challenges you end up having around the service provider model is, what about testability? Sure. So now I'm designing my service, I'm designing my extension, and I want to test it to see how it works. Well, my extension, as soon as it gets loaded, goes and queries this service provider to pull this stuff out. That means yeah. testability is more complex. I need to now add in a service provider and a whole bunch of other okay, stuff. Okay, there's a couple scenarios there that you mentioned. Let's take the first one, which is, the the way that I described, which is the way everybody's doing it, is only one way. So I can, as the host, get information about the plugin and I can communicate with that. But what if the plugin wants to communicate with me? Absolutely. How does it know? Now I have to do, I have to expose it both ways and all of that. And then uh, I think another thing that you mentioned was, what if your plugin needs to have plugins? Absolutely. So the idea... And, and that's why in MEF, we don't use the word plugin, actually. I mean, I'm using that in extension because it's a common sure, term. It's a common right. thing we actually just understand. call them parts. Right, okay. They're all parts. Whether they came from the application or came from somewhere else doesn't really matter. What happens is, is that, you know, you have parts. Parts basically parts have two, parts. two aspects. They have things they need. Kentucky yeah. Fried Chicken commercial <laughs> reference, sorry. Yeah. Parts is parts. Parts have parts is parts. Parts is parts. And as being parts is parts, parts have two things. Things they need and things they offer up. Right. So right. the things they need, we call those imports. And the things they offer up are exports. And any part can have imports and exports. So right. when you start to deal with MEF, the lines become very blurred. Yeah. And that's actually great because it lets you address scenarios at a whole different level. Um, because MEF uses a composition model. Right. Mm. So we, we basically describe it like a soup. We have a whole bunch of ingredients that just get thrown in the soup. Yeah. Meth is the cook. Yeah, oh, okay. nice. Okay. So in essentially, instead of having like one routine that's going to go discover your parts and plug those into, for lack of a better word, to your application, you've got this, the thing that does that is in one central location. And then you use dec the declarative model to tell your code, Hey, you're a part. Did or, hey, I say that host. was declarative? Well, no, but <laughs> no, it is you did say it was declarative. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it is declarative. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, so the other difference is, aside from being able, you know, having to, um, 
you know, how would I do that discovery, like you mentioned, tends to yeah. be very imperative. Yes. And with, with MEF, we want to make it really easy yeah. to, uh, you know, and I'm just going to say MEF instead of MEF, so, you know, move away from the uh, narcotics the uh, connotation. reference. Exactly. Yeah. Um, even though we do all want you all to be meth users, let me be clear about that. <laughs> but not meth abusers. Me- no yes. meth addicts required. <laughs> even meth addicts are okay. Children okay. don't do drugs. <laughs> Listen to Carl and Richard. All right. But what we want you to be able to do is, yeah, declaratively specify those things that you need and those things that you have. Let something else do all the work of finding it for you. Yeah. Whereas today, you tend to actually do a lot of that grunge work yourself. Yeah. Right. Okay. And so what is it what does the process look like? Do we still use common interfaces? Uh yes and no. <laughs> so okay. um you know, MEF has a notion of a contract. And the idea is that if you look at the diagram of like what's in MEF, you've got a part, parts have imports and exports. So how do I get the how do I specify the imports that I need? Mm-hmm. The way I do that is through a contract. I import a, a thing that is of a contract type, right. and I export a contract. Actually, I don't use the word type. I import contracts, and I export contracts. And from a cardinality perspective, I can import one or many. I can have collections that import everything that satisfies a particular contract, or mm-hmm. I can have just single instances. I can do other things too, like optional and other okay. stuff. But the point is, like, what is a contract? Well, contracts in MEF behind the scenes are actually just strings. Hmm. And one of the reasons for that is that, you know, we look at MEF as being able to support the broader platform. When you build your thing, Carl, you built it to just support the needs of your app. Right. MEF wants to support things like dynamic languages. Right, so, where there are no types. Exactly. Per se. Um, you know, if I use Python, for example, every object looks, every class instance that I create within Python looks the same. It's right. just a dynamic yeah. object, right? Mm. Um, really, in that case, the type is defined at runtime based on a set of collections. It's really all collections and hash tables sure. behind the scenes. MEF can actually work with those and say that on one side, you actually have a static representation. On the other side, it's a dynamic representation. Okay. Now, there's some glue that needs to make that happen. But the point is, because the contract itself is not type-based, yeah. we can support scenarios that you wouldn't bother trying to support in your case because sure. you don't need it. Yeah. Um, and But what we do is, because in the static world, the common representation is type, yeah. by default, we will take that type and we will translate it into its contract name, which will just be the fully qualified name. Right. But you can override that and specify that if you want to. So you can specify an interface or you can specify a name. Yes. And one of the reasons why you'd want to do that is, um, so in order for me to be able to put an attribute on a type, I need to own it. Well, what happens if I want to export sealed types, like integer, right. for example? And you might say, well, why would I want to export an integer? Well, yeah. maybe I've got different configuration values that okay. my plugins, when they come in, they're going to need like a timeout value or whatever it's going to be mm-hmm. um, that may be set globally at the system level. But if I'm a message transport, well, I can figure out what the timeout is in getting that from the system. Yeah. So those are integers. What MEF allows you to do is when you export, you can export at the class level, which is where you basically have a class and you put an export on it. Mm-hmm. But you can also export at the property level. So I could have three properties that are different integers. And then I will use a string contract to say this one is timeout yeah. and this one is, you know, retries, right. et cetera. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik who bring you this special message. What's more important for your web applications? High performance on the server or on the client? How about footprint, number of server requests? There are so many potential bottlenecks that can drag your application performance, and of course, there is no universal solution for them. The good news is the guys from Telerik understand the complexity of that problem. When building their UI components, they isolate every probable source of performance loss. Then they apply a respective solution for different products, different scenarios, and even different browsers. The techniques vary dramatically. As a result, you, the developer, receive out-of-the-box, highly reliable components that are optimized in every aspect of their behavior. I'm sure you'll be interested to learn more about the various performance-boosting techniques for web applications. Just go to Telerik.com slash top performance for details and live demos. Uh, when you discover these assemblies, they can uh, live in arrays. They can be part of the, the host. They can be part of another program. It's soup, right? The like, ingredients come from anywhere. Come from, some of them may matter. come from Trader Joe's. Some of them may come from yeah. Whole Foods. Some yeah. of them may come right from the cabinet. You may already have references to some of these. Exactly. MEF doesn't care. What we've done is MEF, sorry. That's all right. <laughs> we won't hold you to that rule. What we've basically done is we've, we've looked at extensibility as a problem and said, what are the common components? And let's call those out as first-class members. Okay. Right. That's where parts, imports, and exports come from. But we also said, well, how do parts get discovered, right? So another concept in MEF is a catalog. And catalogs really are – and you can have – as many catalogs as you want in terms of type. One type of catalog is one that watches a directory. Okay. Now, it's if the you file could, watcher approach, right? And yeah. that were well. So file watcher is not mutually exclusive, right? Okay, file okay. watching is an interesting one because that deals with what happens when new things appear yeah. right. as my app is running. Like yeah. I was going to wasn't going to say this before, but like when you're building your example, yeah. you don't actually need a file system watcher if you're going to not be actually continually scanning. Sure. You could just scan, sure, right? you could just do you it could, once. Exactly. You could let the user say, refresh the list and do it yourself. But there's an interesting aspect to what you said, which relates to a problem we addressed in MEF. Whatever I call it, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, we know what you're talking about. <laughs> and you can now see my level of inconsistency. Yeah. Welcome to my world. Yeah. So <laughs> with, when, you, when, you're working with, when you're working with MEF, you have these catalogs. They could be coming from a directory, but it could be coming from, say, a web service. Right. Or oh, it sure. could be uh, wrapping a database. Mm. What we've done, though, is we've created a common thing called a part definition. And the part definition is how a part basically is able to – so when we analyze, for example, that type that has some attributes on it, yeah. we actually have a programming model behind the scenes and an object model that represents – the relationships. We haven't even built up any instances yet. Right. Okay. We pull all that metadata. It's almost like you can imagine a set of schema tables in a database. Sure. And we, we have that representation. So what so catalogs just give off these part definitions. Okay. So a directory watching catalog gives off part definitions that are based on types that it found with attributes. I see. But a dynamic language, if if you're using dynamic languages, you might have a part definition. It would be the same base part definition type, mm -hmm. right. only the thing that it wrapped would be a real instance, not a type. Okay. That has mm. some information that comes from the dynamic language runtime. Mm. Okay. So now there's uh there's some other concepts. The the catalog to me sounds like uh like a collection of parts. Yep. But 
uh, and well, part definitions to be exact. Part definitions, right. yeah. Right. That's that's a the scheme. It's like the schema important difference. It is because from part definitions, parts are created. In general, when you work with static languages, part definition equals type. But in the dynamic language case, it doesn't. Might be different. So, and I mean, what all is in a part definition then? A part definition is really just a, has a collection of things called exports and imports. Okay. And exports or imports right. are just contracts. Those are your extensibility points. I have these points. contracts. Yeah. Exactly. Or, or either Those are either the extensibility points I expose as the exports or the things that I consume, yeah. which are the imports. Importability types. Uh, points, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, so that is an important difference, the catalog. Now, because well, the first time you said it, I kind of thought, okay, well, that's my collection of things that I want to end up with. Uh, if I'm a host, I ultimately want to end up with some sort of enumerable collection that has my objects in it that I'm going to then fire off my you know, method calls to. Yep. What, uh, what, what does that look like? So I can import a collection... I can say I'm importing a collection of. I mean, we 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 were just doing a .NET Rocks TV, a and we TV, yeah. we talked about uh, uh, what were those? Uh, a rever uh, I effects. I effects, yeah. right? I could yeah. have one to n I effects in my system. Yeah. And I could basically just have a collection that imports I enumerable of I effects. Yeah. And I just put an import attribute on it. That's all I need to do to That's tell it. MEF I want it. Go get it for me. And then a couple of lines of code, and boom, those things are found, and you've got the objects there. Absolutely. It's a couple of lines of code, and it's very easy for somebody to wrap that couple of lines of code into a utility function. Sure. We're even looking at some utility functions that we may ship either in the product or on CodePlex yeah. um, to make it easy. But yeah, it's, it's ultimately a couple of lines of code. What you do is you create your catalog, and you can have multiple catalogs. That's important to mention as well. That you don't have to only pull from one source. Yeah. Um, you can have some things coming from disk. You could have a web service catalog that goes and uses mtom, for example, and goes over to a web service yeah. and transfers a bunch of stuff. And you might have some in-memory assemblies that are part of your app that are hard references. Right. And you want to allow them all to be ingredients in the soup, so to speak. So I'm, I think I'm getting it. So you have your catalog. You add your host types to the catalog and you add your... Uh, your your parts types to the catalog, and all together the thing figures out how. Uh, how uh, that, essentially, how that what works. you're doing, yeah. I mean, essentially, what you're doing is the container reads catalogs to get part definitions. Right, container. That's the first time yes. you use this. Okay, term. so we have so we have the soup. So who's the so the composition yeah. container is kind of the pot. Okay, where the soup is, and it's the chef. <laughs> the, 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 it, do, it does the matchmaking of putting everything together. Yeah, suddenly, I'm really hungry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We we skip lunch today. Well, I've, I've eaten yeah. a lot of meals yeah. with you guys, yeah. so you know it's getting a little complex, though. So let's but, get away from the soup metaphor for a minute and talk about just what what this container is. Now, the the catalog is the part definitions with the imports and the out uh, imports exports. and exports. Yep. The container then is what the container will. So how do how do you let's think let's talk about the bootstrapping process of an app. Okay. Okay. Sure. So I create my catalog and my catalog has a set of part definitions. Then I have some in-memory types. Mm -hmm. So at some point I need to get something from the container or make something happen so I can actually have this composition. Occur. The instances. Yes. Okay. So I can either have the composition container do everything for me. So what I can do is I can add I can I can take my types not instances, okay. and create an assembly catalog. 
and pass it my current running executing assembly. Okay. It will then look through that assembly, find anything that has export exports. on it. Exactly. And it will add it to the container. Once oh, I do that, okay. no instances have been created yet, though. Remember, it's just taken all the information and put it into the container. Then I can go to the container and say, give me an instance of Does the catalog do that, though? The catalog stores all the... Of, so here's what the happens. metadata. Yes. The catalog, but, but nothing gets created. The catalog is just holding information. Okay. Something has to get initiated for the container to query the catalog right. to say, okay, I need this. So how does that happen? I see. So that can happen one of two ways. Okay. You can either explicitly query the container and say, okay, I've got an I initialize interface, yeah. right? Or even a class, class called initialize, right? Yeah. right? Or initializer. And it's in my catalog. I know it's there because I added my added assembly it. to the catalog, and this is a locally defined thing. Okay. I can say to the container, container.getExportedObject, and it's a generic method, ah. and I can say initialize. Okay. It will then go and say, do I have anything in me that defines for this contract? So right? the It'll container convert the that type. Exactly. It'll query any of the catalogs. And in this case, what will it find? It will find that initialized class. And it will load the assembly based will, on Well, that? in this case, that assembly is already loaded okay, because it's in sure. memory, right? But if it wasn't, it would load yes, an instance it of would it load and it. give it to you. It would load it. It would load that okay. assembly. It would then inspect for that particular um, – so I've basically said I want initialize, right? Yeah. It would query for anything from the catalogs that has initialize. Right. Then it would – Create the parts now from the part definition because it got back a set of exports, sure. and from the export, it needs to get a real export. Yeah. So behind the scenes, that export was associated with a part definition. Okay. Right? Because the part definition said, "I have exports yes. and I have imports." Right. I'm, I'm so hanging. Hang I'm with hanging me. On. Hang with me. So at that point, when I've called for that initialize, essentially what the container is going to do is look at my initialize class right. and say, oh, you've got additional imports you've that you need. You've got an import that matches that export, so he's going to load You've got it. No, 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 no. Your... You've said that you are importing some service or something, some screen, yes, yes. main screen. Yeah. Right. So now I'm going to go look at my catalogs and say, is there a main screen? And then it's yeah. a recursive operation. It just keeps happening. So, so it literally types keep does connect It builds up the entire exports. hierarchy. Yes. I get but it. you need to initiate it. It's not going to just you magically happen. It. Yeah, you got to tell right. It so you can it. initiate it either by manually creating your own instance of a class sure. that has import information on it, yep. and you can explicitly just add that to the container and call compose, okay. which will force the composition. Or you can do what I just described, which is I just add everything into the container from a types perspective, and I just say get. Yeah. Give me an instance right. and it gives me one. Does that, does yeah, that make no, sense? No, it makes total sense. It's sort of like manual and automatic mode. The manual Pretty mode, much. You're, yes. you're, you're getting exactly. an instance because that's the specific instance you need at that time. The automatic mode says, oh, I've got a collection here that's an import and it matches this type that's in my catalog. I'm going to create instances of that and put them in that collection. And let me tell you why you need both. Yeah. Because in sometimes you don't own the types. You don't own right. the creation. Right. Right. Think about ASP.NET. I get a web page. ASP.NET creates that page for right. me. Yep. Yeah. So do I want to have to create another class that I create to get the imports and stuff? I no. want to just put it on the page class. Sure. So with MEF, what I'll do is I'll take that page, I'll add it to the container, and I'll call compose. And right. it will then go and look at 
any of the imports that were specified mm. and it will satisfy them. Another place you could look at that is like a WPF application. I have the app.xaml. Oh, yeah. Who yeah. creates the app? Right. <laughs> WPF runtime creates yeah. the app. And all of but, those XAML objects. Exactly. So what I want to do is put my imports there. I don't want to have to create yet another class. It's just extra work for me. Yeah, yeah. So what I do is, so this is where I think, you know, it's important to understand that you'll use both. Within your apps, it's very likely that you'll use both. Unless you're in like a case with like WinForms, for example, where you initiate everything, yeah. you know, then that's fine. Well, and if you were actually using math for a plugin, you, you'd be initiating it all yourself. But I, it just sort of hit me. I started thinking about math in terms of this will be a way to do plugins. And I thought, no, you do more than this. This yeah. is how you just plain old extend your app. Extensibility, Absolutely. yeah. This Absolutely. is about extending a plane. I want this to start so, every time and run with the app, but it's just part of the equation. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that, and that's really the whole point. I mean, if you look at MEF from the larger level, you know, extensibility is a very vague term. It yeah, means right. a million things. Yeah. And of course, we start with, when we talk with customers, we start with a context they know. Right. Everybody is familiar with that, ooh, the app that goes and finds right, something. Sure. Yeah. But once you get there, then you can take the leap of faith further. And, and just to give you a hint as to what the leap of faith includes is things like lazy loading, lazy instantiation, mm, right. uh, metadata-based discovery. There's a whole bunch of things that once you get those core concepts and you understand them, you can take it way Lazy further. loading being like, let's say I have a list of things that uh, like, to, like in a toolbar. I don't want to actually I, – I need to know what the names are and I need to know where the icons are and all that so yep. I can give some UI to my user, a buttons to press or whatever. But I don't want to load them until they actually activate. But yet I want the thing that owns them to yeah. actually be fully created. Totally. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So what we allow you to do in MEF, which is just very uh, – it, it's really, really simple to use. We give you a special type called export of T. It's a generic type. Mm. And we give you another type called an export collection of T. Sure. And what you can do is you can say, hey, I've got a collection of, you know, views, for example, screens that I take in. Right. And I want my controller to build up and not need those screens until the time when it actually needs them. So what I can do is I can basically say, okay, I have a, a, a property that is of type export collection of, you know, view or screen or whatever it right. is. What will happen is that object will get built up. We will verify that we do have some um, – well, actually, if it's a collection, it's optional, right? Collections by default might have nothing. Right. But let's say it was a single one. Right. I, I must have one or I want to throw an exception. Right. Even though it's lazy loaded, MEF will still validate that in its catalog, it has the definition information. It caches that information so it doesn't have to actually go back to the type. And if the catalog changes, well, it refreshes – the metadata. So what that means is that my app can load up and doesn't actually get any of those things created until the time that it needs them. Right. And then where you can go even further, and this is where products like Visual Studio really shine with MEF, is to actually inspect metadata about those things so that I only instantiate a subset. Yeah, you know, so we're talking really large systems here. Sure. The average system doesn't and, – and MEF is really a pay-for-play. Yes. It doesn't force you to use all of this. But if you have the systems that warrant the complexity, the capability is there. Hey, I just want to give a shout-out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application – Provide PDF and HTML output. 
Give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActorReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Do you plan on, I mean, this is a probably, yeah, I probably can't answer this question, but does the Visual Studio team plan to use MEF in the future? Um the very near future. If, if anybody really? went to PDC, MEF is actually part of the next version of Visual Studio. Wow. So, so all of you, the code that they were using to, to load... Well, not all. No? So, so remember, okay. I said it's part of Visual Studio. Right. I didn't say it replaced the extensibility or, model. Or okay. replaced anything yet. But I'm what not. it does do is... Um, and if you go to... Scott Goo, Scott Guthrie did a, a great demo at PDC of one of the capabilities of MEF is in the new Visual Studio, the editor itself is extensible. So how do you extend the editor? Well, the editor basically looks for extensions that are just MEF imports. Yeah. So you can just drop, they have a catalog that scans through a components directory. You yeah. just draw, and Scott shows a demo of this, you literally just drop the DLL in, no reg server 32, well those days are yeah, gone, yeah, yeah. no yeah. modifying any config, right. no having the component as it lo- have to do some kind of special registration sure. in code, it just works, it's just there. Just loads up. Absolutely. That's very cool. And one of the other things we support, which you hinted on, is what we call recomposition. Recomposition. Yes. So recomposition, if you think about your directory watching scenario, right? Yeah. I've got an app. Now suddenly somebody's dropped something new in. Right. What MEF does is when somebody goes and imports a collection of a certain contract, we keep track of that. If suddenly a new one shows up, and this is an opt-in behavior then any of those things that imported those collections will actually get notified that there's a new one. Nice. So if you have UIs that... So Scott Hanselman did a great demo wow. of this at um, PDC. He took Baby Smash. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Baby Smash is like the new canonical app <laughs> at Microsoft. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you thought you saw dinner now? That's nothing. It's all Baby Smash now, yeah. right? I think he's covered pretty much all the technologies in .NET 4.0. Have some, he's got some version of Baby Smash that right. uses it, including SSDS. I don't know if he has Azure yet, but I'm, <laughs> I'm sure the, the Azure version wow. of He'll Baby Smash fit it in Smash there somehow. The way. Cloud-driven baby smash. <laughs> That's right. Maybe you can share, cloud smash or share your baby smash objects across. <laughs> but the what internet. he did is so here's an ex- and one of the and what's cool about this too is MEF allows you to make decisions about extensibility later, the last responsible moment. You don't have to decide traditionally when you build an extensibility in your app. If you didn't decide from day one, you're going to open it up. You're hosed. It's a lot of rework yeah. to open it up later. Yeah. Scott wrote Baby Smash, which, again, the canonical new standard.NET app, and he basically said, you know, I want to extend it to add things called Smash Packs, and I'm planning to show this tomorrow <laughs> in my demo. Smash Packs being list of uh, graphics. New shapes. New, new shapes. shapes. Yeah, yeah. And he demoed... Just to be... Just let me give a couple seconds to Baby Smash. Basically, he has two little kids, and he wants to give them an application where... Every key on the keyboard is safe. Yes. So the the baby can just smash the keyboard and then shapes and numbers and objects appear and they make sounds and stuff and numbers and letters and they move around. And it's using WPF. So it he is. did it as an exercise in WPF. It is. And so it has a, been incredibly adopted. 
Um, and, uh, and, and not only that, we actually party. have Remember a that? dev. What was that? He, he put it, it on. The I know. I was there with Huckabee's him. Party was yeah, amazing. That was awesome. And then put a baby on the he's surface. Such a, he put a baby on the surface. He's <laughs> such a ninja. He went over and he's like, "Oh my god, he's got a surface. Let me go." You know. He, but <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not joking. Baby Smash now has a dev center on MSDN. Oh, I mean, man. it Come is on. the de facto app now. <laughs> That is so, so funny. soon in college, awesome. you know, they'll be learning .NET through Baby, Baby Smash. Smash <laughs> and you. So thinking about, I mean, Baby Smash was not built with meth in mind. Absolutely. So I'm just thinking about the efforts of retrofitting meth into an app. It was not dramatic. It was um, about a day of work or less. Wow. So it was less to, than a day to make of work. A smash, I Smash Pack interface. A Smash Pack <laughs> provider, yeah. A smash Pack, provider, but 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 even more so. Let's talk about the recomposition. Yeah. So when he does his demo at PDC, he basically shows a list of Smash Packs that has like two on them. Yeah. And then he goes and drops something in the bin folder, and a third shows up. Nice. Wow. And people were like, "Whoa, what the heck happened?" Because they now notified you can his UI. Now, what really gets you impressed? So if you've probably done that before, and you're like, "Yeah, sure. I know how I would do that." Yeah. What's really impressive though is when you look at what it takes to do that under the hood. It's free. Yeah. Right. Just happens. You implement observable, you know, you have an observable collection, so WPF binds to it. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, when the recomposition happens, it just happens. And there you go. And sometimes. Observable you- collection. We should talk about that. We've talked about that on Better Know Framework, and it's a very cool, very cool object. Yep. So it's basically a collection that has an event that gets uh, notified when anything in the collection gets changes. added, removed, yeah. Added, removed, or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Exactly, Very exactly. Cool. And it's like, you know, data binding, I mean, WPF is like the data binding you wish you had when yeah. you're developing win formats. Totally. Um, <laughs> it's, it's really amazing. It's you know, slick. it's like you, you know, in, in, in win forms, you could make a really good argument for not using data binding and you could get a lot of stuff done. WPF, you just completely shoot yourself in the yep. foot and lose out on like a whole portion of the platform. Yeah. Yeah. If you do that. Um, so yeah, so he, he demoed that and it's like that kind of fun. Now, the devil's always in the details. Sure. Like, Oren Aini got really excited when he saw what we were doing with Mev and was like, I want to know how they're cha- allowing me to change assemblies that are already there. Are they not getting locked? Right. Yeah. And I was like, don't bother looking. They are yeah. getting locked. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing magic there. We have the .NET framework, right? Yeah. We didn't, we didn't get into separate app domains, creating all these separate app domains. Right. You okay. could surely do that if you wanted to. Um, but what we do allow you to do is add new things. They'll just show up. Mm-hmm. And you can even do some other stuff more sophisticated if you want to like set up the app domain to do like shadow copying. Then you right. could technically drop new versions of the DLLs in. And because the contracts are string based, it's yeah. going to work. Right. Yeah. Now, you may end up having some residual baggage still in memory if you tried to replace um, something that was existing because you can't unload it. Right. But you can rip down the container and create, recreate the container, and at least all your instances will now be based on the new ones. Right. Yeah. And this is something like the mass transit guys. Um, so one of the, one of the uh, people that I've been – customers that I've been talking with, they have an open source um, enterprise service bus solution hmm. and MEF by the way is available now on CodePlex that's why we're able to have this conversation because right. they want to use it now yeah. and they're looking to have it so that you know customers almost like hot swapping in new implementations um, for listeners for the ESB yeah. and they're saying like well we won't be able to unload it from memory but we restart our servers once a day anyway right. so sure. okay there's a couple of extra classes and me- types in memory no big deal 
yeah, you are loading the new instances, and that's fine. You just can't get rid of the old ones yes. until you do a container restart. But you can kill. Well, you can kill the container. You can get rid of the instances. Right. You can't get rid of the assemblies oh, that okay. are loaded in memory. Right. You can actually whack the uh, instances, no problem, because you just tear down the container, and as long as you're not holding anything alive, yeah, it'll just go it's away. So, and we did do a DNR TV show on this, which is uh, available or will be available very soon, or it is now. I'm not sure because. We did these. The question is, will it be available in other. the current form or will it be in a re-recorded form? Oh, I think it'll be fine. But uh, <laughs> the, the key there is just seeing the code. Uh, DNR TV, of course, is a uh, Camtasia screencast. Glenn and I did one uh, on MEF just an hour ago. Yep. So we're, we're going to try to put these, publish these in the same week. So this will probably be next week. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So go to DNRTV.com if you want to see the code in action. Is there anything that we missed? I think the one thing we missed is that we're developing MEF in a, MEF in a very open way. It is on CodePlex, and as a matter of fact, uh, we've recently moved to an open source license. Wow! Um, which is a big move in terms of you know yeah. having something in the framework yeah. that it's is actually be part of the framework. shipping completely say, yeah. open source. And as a matter of fact, I've even had conversations at PDC with Miguel Icaza. And there's I was just interest from say, the Mono Project. I absolutely, love that. absolutely. But but I think what it's more about is just the fact that you know by us opening up this code that we think is really core to you know we we think that MEF is really going to help push the state of software development forward. And it's such a key piece that we want to make sure that customers are in a position that, you know, if they can't wait for the V2 or for the hotfix, they can, you know, have full access to the code. Do the changes themselves if they have to. And we're also developing, you know, by having it on CodePlex, we're also developing it in a very visible way. So we really advise customers to take a look at the bits, give us feedback, um, we are looking at leveraging some of the new .NET 4.0 features as well. Right now, there's no dependency mm-hmm. right. on 4.0, but there's some cool stuff coming that, um, you know, like, for example, right now when you use MEF, it's common for you to have a shared contracts assembly. Well, yeah. we have this new work coming in 4.0 called Nopia that allows you to essentially get rid of that hard as- dis- assembly dependency. Uh, no PS stands for no PIA primary right. interop assembly work. Yeah. Okay. And that, so we're going to be looking at some of the 4.0 features that we can leverage. Um, but if you want to find out more about it, you can just go to codeplex.com slash MEF. Great. And you'll find all our team blogs there. We've got a fantastic team. Um, some, some great people like the author of Castle Windsor. Mm. Um, Hamilton Verissimo is on my yeah. team. And Nicholas Blumhart, and of course, having Christoph and Brad. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. No, no yeah, really. Hey, Glenn, what's going to happen when MEF ships with the framework to the Coplex project? Because now you've sort of got two versions out there. Yep, yep. Right now, it's the same version that right. is being used internally. Um, I really want to keep that code out there. Yeah. Um, we do have a point. There are some features in 4.0 that are very attractive yep. to leverage. Yeah. I think we'll also, and, and, and some of our, you know, you remember too that one of the complexities we have is that actively there are customers building on top of MEF internally right now. Right. There's a whole bunch of projects, some of which I can't talk about. One is Oslo. In right, Telepad, really? the Oslo editor, all of the commands and everything that plug into Oslo, the Oslo editor are Python scripts. Wow. So, th- so this is wow. using that capability I described right. to you of MEF today. So we've got a, that's great for us because it ensures contract. that we're not just building something, you know, yeah. in a garage somewhere that, you know, we don't really know how usable it's going to be. Totally here. dog fooded. Absolutely. Well, and it, <laughs> that's definitely a way to make it a better version, but it yeah. looks like it's, you're going to end up with a, 
a, a Framework 3.5 edition of, of MEF and a 4.0 edition of MEF. What's likely going to happen is we will at least my put uh, my hope is we'll at least have a 3.5 version of the source right. that at some point we'll have to branch off yes. for those new capabilities. Yeah. Um, whether having an out of band shipping vehicle for three five, like meaning an MSI kind of thing, yeah, is doubtful but possible. You it's could, a lot of you work. You could leave it on Codeplex. Yes, and, We're good. And, I I would really hope to do that. Yeah, yeah and maybe eventually have the code for both. Yeah, have the four code out, out there and the three five. Code. Eventually, once this thing's in the framework, the rules have to change to some degree. It'd be great to leave the three five version out in the wild and let it do what it wants to do. And I'm not sure the rules have to change. We may the reason why we don't want to move to 4.0 now is there's no good seat, there's no good bits out there yeah. for people to use. Yeah, you, did, oh, you okay. just impair the rest of the world from using it for now. And I don't want to do that. No, and we no. don't want to do that because you know it's like yeah, we have all of our internal customers, but the needs of tooling like Oslo and Visual Studio yeah. are different than the kinds of like the mass transit sure. example. I have. We don't have anybody who's using MEF in that way. Yeah, but I can also see internal teams aren't ready to jump to four O's early bits either, and they they you know trying to cut down the number of moving parts is to make things work. I mean, I know you guys love the dog food, but come on. Here's the funny <laughs> story about MEF. We ship the code. My mission when I joined the MEF team was to get out to CodePlex. That was like my number one right. mission. And we're supposed to like scrub the code before we clean, you know, before we ship. <laughs> and then Don Box posts a blog post that says that he says, I love this. And he shows a code snippet that says, this is a new class that will be deprecated as it's coming in 4.0, <laughs> which was the tuple class. Oops. Oh, man. <laughs> nice comment. Yeah, thanks yeah. for that. Well, you know, you love the attention when Don Box is doing blog posts on you. So <laughs> yeah, 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 no kidding. All right, Glenn, I think uh, that just about covers it. Awesome. So okay. congratulations on a great product. Thanks. Thanks, guys. All right. And congratulations on a great show. Oh, well, you. you know, it's guys like you that make it possible. So thanks. And we'll see you next time on Diamond Rocks. Dotnet Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter band.